Welcome to Trinity Western's Chapel Podcast, a space to listen to and respond to God's invitation to worship and mission. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m., all members of the Trinity community are invited to join us for a moment of worship and a short word from our university chaplain and director of student ministries, Reverend Dr. James Ellis III. Throughout the semester, you'll also have opportunities to hear from special guests in our local community and abroad. As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. This is the word of God from Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, while suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 20, at this, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. He was the grandson of slaves who Time Magazine named the Dean of Black Preachers in 1980. In 1997, he made Newsweek's list of the best 12 preachers in the English-speaking world. Last but not least, long referred to as the Poet Laureate 
of American Protestantism, in 2000, President Bill Clinton honored him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Life, however, for Gardner C. Taylor was not all applause and awards. Early in his 42-year tenure leading Brooklyn, New York's Concord Baptist Church of Christ, one day, faulty wiring turned the entire 8,000-member church property into rubble. Moreover, decades into marriage to his first wife, Laura, she perished due to injuries sustained in an automobile accident. Taylor himself died on Easter Sunday of 2015 at the tender age of 95. A spiritual father of mine uh, passed on to be with the Lord a few years ago. He and his wife of 67 years, a retired nurse, never had children, and yet they lived through five miscarriages. One of the most steadfast Christians that I know, by the name of Robert Smith Jr., teaches preaching at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, and those who have read his book, The Oasis of God, From Morning to Morning, Biblical Insights from Psalms 42 and 43, they know that he buried his youngest son, Antonio, in 2010. The 34-year-old son was working late at a restaurant when he was shot during an attempted robbery. Those closest to Smith also will recall that he lost his wife to complications from lupus some years ago. Before relocating to Canada recently, I myself uh, found uh, an opportunity to console a young woman whose 23-year-old fiance had just died. While visiting Michigan's Upper Peninsula, an apparently inebriated snowmobile driver in his 50s crossed the center line at high speed, striking Blake Johnson's snowmobile head-on, killing him instantly. Katrin and Blake, uh, their wedding was a mere six months away, but it would not be. It's this level of fragility that motivates some people to offer unsolicited axioms like this. Maybe you've heard it. Be kinder than necessary because everyone you meet is fighting some kind of battle. I recall having been on the job for only a few weeks here, uh, receiving word last fall that TWU volleyball player Michaela Crema had lost her mother. She died suddenly from a blood clot in her lung, and courageously, Michaela would eventually pen a brief reflection about this personal tragedy in the Sparta publication that the athletic department produces. The point is this. Cataclysmic loss is all around us if we care to look. It arrives in all shapes and sizes. Everyone's going through something, and those of you who think have, uh, those of you that we think of having an envious life 
Many times they would trade all that they have that we envy in a flash if doing so could undo some horrifying news that they once received, the kind of news that no one wishes to have, the kind of news that changed their life forever. Now, he does not know it, of course, but Job is about to have an abominable day by any standard. Beyond the imminent heartbreak itself, the way that it unfolds might be even worse. To be burdened with bad news, one after another, after another, after another, six times in rapid sequence until your senses are overloaded is not easy. It's unlikely, or rather likely, um, comparable, you could say, to languishing in post-traumatic stress or, or experiencing the effects of traumatic brain injury, this kind of, of being pummeled by bad news. From verses 13 through 19, the onslaught is nonstop. Job's had his property stolen with oxen and donkeys scooped up by the Sabaeans and the, the Chaldeans. They took the brother's camels. Job's workforce has been entirely decimated with, with only four survivors um, being spared from slaughter. And not only that, I mean, it seems as though lightning has struck and it has incinerated his sheep and another group of servants. And then last but not least, for now anyways, and perhaps most demoralizing of all, in the middle of partying together, as siblings are sometimes known to do, Job's seven sons and three daughters, his ten children, were killed when a sudden and mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house that they were in. If you remember from Job chapter 1, uh, the man is loaded. He, he owns 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. Well, not anymore. When accounting for a yoke of oxen representing a pair, if my calculations are correct, in an instant, Job lost his entire stable of 11,500 livestock, not to mention an unnamed amount of servants. And this is apart from the four who escaped. He, he is now destitute. He is now childless. His legacy is now dearly departed to be permanently spoken of forevermore in past tense. It would seem to the human eye that Job is now officially no longer blessed and highly favored. Plus, we know that it was God himself who unleashed Satan on Job, saying, everything he has is in your power. And that right there is the kicker for most of us, if we're honest. We ask, how could a good God give the green light for such terrible, terrible happenings, especially in the life of someone as dedicated to God as Job. Now, I'll, I'll spare you any prefab guesstimations or posturing because the, the only valid answer um, I can guarantee that you won't like, but you need to hear this morning, and it's just this. We don't know. We don't know why bad things happen to good people uh, such as Job. 
you can commit yourself to a monastic order. You can learn biblical Hebrew from the finest scholars. You can study theology like nobody's business and still the only spot-on, honest, unapologetic, uh, apolitical answer that you will find to this question of theodicy is, we don't know. Now, I know that bugs the bejeebers out of most of us, and, and it's been known to derail the faith of many people. However, while sincere, lament-laden bewilderment is plausible, maybe, just maybe, raging dissent is not. The great Puritan preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards was right that hell is real and hell is hot, but I, I don't quite believe that we are, as he argued, sinners in the hands of an angry God. God does hate sin, and we are sinners, but love, not anger, best describes God's approach to us, because God loves us. He's a good, good father. I wonder how we started thinking to begin with that we are somehow destined to grasp all of God's ways. Psalm 8, uh, verse 4, actually offers a different perspective with this question that the psalmist raises to God, asking, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? And there it is, exactamundo, that's the point. God's not obligated to explain everything about himself to our satisfaction. He doesn't have to be mindful of puny human beings like you and I, and yet he is. Hallelujah, somebody. That's, that's something to shout about, that God cares about you, even though he, he doesn't have to. When you really think about it, sometimes we treat God like he's one of us. But since he is not, we will be dejected or infuriated when trying to map on to God who we want him to be versus who scripture attests him to be. God is good. And we enter this life sinful and broken. But I think what happens is that we, in time, begin attributing everything bad to God and anything good that happens to human innovation and good choice, which of course is both erroneous and unfair. In a fallen world inhabited by a fallen people with, the with that kind of line of thinking, God will always be the big bad meanie in the sky, some crazed divine playwright. I got to tell you, Christians, especially those of us in the West, we need to embrace mystery, 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 faithful mystery, because a lot in life happens above our pay grade, and it happens above our control. Uh, take what God said in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That just means 
God is different, y'all. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't operate like us. And he's not beholden to whatever human standards we'd like to place on him. In his book, In the Grip of Grace, Max Lucado writes this. The loss of mystery has led to a loss of majesty. The more we know, the less we believe. No wonder there is no wonder. Did y'all catch that? I think that's a beautiful uh, couple of lines there. I'll read it again. The loss of mystery has led to a loss of majesty. The more we know, the less we believe. No wonder there is no wonder. What's transpired thus far in the story is, is utterly horrifying. It's unimaginable. No one, I mean, absolutely no one wakes up equipped for such a, an explosive loss of life and livelihood except Job. After hearing the fourth messenger's report, verse 20 explains it clearly. Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground in worship, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In Job's day, and beyond, even in our modern culture and in some places across the globe, shaving your head or pulling out parts of your hair or ripping your clothes, this is how you express pronounced grief, agony in the deepest parts of your soul. It's instructive that Job did this first. You'll notice he didn't text a friend or begin streaming on Instagram Live to broadcast to the world about his plight. Job didn't do this. Rather, Job expressed sorrow, and he went so far as to assume a posture of humble worship before the Lord, and finally he chose not to charge God with bad parenting. He could have berated God with a, a chorus of how dare you's and, and how could you's. But Job didn't do that. Job decided instead to declare that his family never belonged to him in the first place. That his servants and livestock and subsequent wealth wasn't transferable to the afterlife. And, and all of it was in the Lord's care to do with what he saw fit. And so he wasn't going to trouble. Job wasn't over, over arguing the outcomes, saddened though he was. Existing in a different time with our own challenges, Job, we are not. His situation belongs to him, but challenges uh, do not and disasters do not skip our households. Much to our chagrin, we cannot foretell the particulars of who, what, when, where, and how, uh, the details of how things will happen in our life. But only petulant fools think that their life is beyond the grasp of damage and death. We needn't be preemptively irate with God. We needn't be paranoid over the unwelcome events that may happen on this side of heaven, but we should prepare ourselves. What's lovely about Job is, is not his response so much 
as what made the response possible. The days, the weeks, the months, the years before any of these current circumstances took place, he'd spent time, y'all. He, he, he'd cultivated a relationship, an authentic relationship with the God of the universe. And, and he did that in such a way that it couldn't be taken away. I hope that you'll consider that uh, this morning. Trust me, you, you will not, you will not spontaneously combust into a mature Christian. It's not happening. No way, no how. It's, just, it's, it's an impossibility. You're not going to spontaneously combust into a deep, abiding uh, individual who loves Jesus. Eugene Peterson, the late pastor and writer uh, who translated the Bible into something called the message, he said that the Christian life is a long road of obedience in the same direction. And traveling that road, it requires discipline, focus, and play. It requires tenacity and grit and grace. Those traits accompanying the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life, they develop partly in tandem with the habits that you maintain. So I got some questions for y'all this morning. Where do you invest your time and your treasures and your attention? Who or what do you allow to most influence your thinking? Use these years, I'm telling you, use these years that you have of your youth to build a solid foundation for all of this, for the, the, the crazy things of life, because let me tell you, it doesn't get easier as you age. So use this time wisely. This is exactly why this new Tuesday, Thursday time that we've developed, it's led by Jennifer Graves and other student ministry staff and students, is so vital. It's, it's called devotion. In addition to chapel, this Tuesday-Thursday rhythm offers opportunities for us as a community to explore various aspects of spiritual formation and prayer that will hopefully help shape us as a community, but also help shape us as individual Christians. Be sure to catch the live stream for chapel Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and devotion Tuesdays and Thursdays, all of it at 11 a.m., I'll just close by telling you this. You, you have to know God for yourself. It's impossible for you to live on the fumes of someone else's devotion. It's just not a good thing to chase after what someone else has done in Jesus' name. You need to know Jesus for yourself so that when trouble comes your way, and I'm not trying to be morbid, but trouble is going to come, you know how to stand in the grace of God. Please do, do not tiptoe around nervously waiting for the bottom to drop out. That's not what I'm telling you to do. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-discipline. So, so lean in to God's word. Lean in to the people of God this semester, in part so that when you're called upon you can be able to feel much more equipped to do the work that God has called you to do, that you can do that work in God's way with the power of God's Holy Spirit. God being perfect and good and good to us 
on the one hand, and the fact that life is unfair and it is arduous and it is ripe with calamity, these are not contradictions. They both are true at the same time. May the Lord our God be your anchor in life and death, in joy and in pain, with you always till the very end of the age. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWUStudentMin. Much love.